Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Northern Minor Podcast, and I'm your host, Matthew Keevil, and this is our Base Metal Bonanza. That is right. We will be taking a deep dive into the base metal markets this episode with a specific focus on copper and zinc due to the fact they've been getting a lot of play across the industry uh, based on perceived upcoming supply concerns. Uh, So we'll be digging into base metals a little bit. Um, As usual, this episode is brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do surf by yukonminingalliance.ca and check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon Territory. And unfortunately, we will not be taking a trip through the geology corner this week uh, due to scheduling complications, mostly on my end. Uh, But fear not, Leslie will be returning to us next week to get you your lithological fix. Uh, But yeah, before we move into our our sort of uh, very base metal centric episode, copper zinc, uh, but uh, before we do get there, uh, let's take a brief look at some of the macro conditions uh, around the world to start the week, uh, because obviously precious metals are going to be taking a little bit of a backseat this episode. So we'll give them a little bit of a spotlight to start. Uh, First, let's touch base with our old friend gold, which was trading at a one-week high at the time of recording at $1,258.50 per ounce. Now, gold actually faced a little bit of headwinds to start the week based on a stronger U.S. dollar, and that was despite lackluster U.S. economic data late last week, uh, along with dovish commentary by Fed Reserve official James Bullard on Friday. Uh, Hedge funds and money managers have reportedly raised their net long position in Comex Gold for the second straight week. Uh, And the name of the game here is obviously Safe Haven. Uh, Spot Gold uh, is up about uh, $5, I believe, this morning, um, as investors continue to to seek safe haven investments amidst political uncertainty in Europe, uh, weaker U.S. economic data, uh, the report of a potential terrorist attack in Russia, um, and obviously caution ahead of uh, President Trump's meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Uh, The gold price is still looking to break above its 200-day moving average, which is $1,259 per ounce. So we'll definitely be keeping our eyes on that. So let us get cracking on our base metal bonanza. Uh, This is actually really well-timed, not by accident. Uh, The uh, CRU's World Copper Conference kicked off in Santiago, Chile on Monday uh, and will run from April 3rd to April 5th. Uh, This includes 500 delegates from over 40 countries, so we're expecting uh, some cool news flow out of that conference on the red metal this week. In addition, uh, the Northern Miner, us, is putting together our Global Copper Special, so you can look forward to that. Um, I believe our senior uh, staff writer in Toronto, Trish Saywell, put up a nice article yesterday on, uh, quote-unquote, more investment in copper needed. So surf by northernminer.com and check that out. Uh, we'll have uh, more copper-related uh, articles uh, emerging throughout the week. So do uh, do pay attention to that. And uh, remember that the CRU's World Copper Conference is going on in Santiago, Chile. Uh, so do check out the Newswire for anything interesting coming out of there. Um, so uh, LME copper inventories were down 4,000 tons yesterday to just under 280,000 tons. And they have been down 14 days in a row now. Um, Obviously, the major discussion we've been having over the past few weeks have been supply disruptions um, and what they have done to uh, the copper markets over the first quarter. These major situations have began to resolve, however. Uh, We noted that uh, BHP's Escondida mine is slated to return to full production. Meanwhile, Freeport McMoran has reportedly resolved a strike at its Chero Verde mine, which is the largest copper mine in Peru. 
Meanwhile, Freeport has also staved off production uh, delays at its Grasberg operation in Indonesia, where it was issued a temporary mining license. Uh, that It will allow the company to resume concentrate export from the world's second largest copper mine after a gap of about 12 weeks. Uh, this permit is reportedly valid for eight months from the time that the producer was first offered a special mining license. Uh, Freeport says it expects to resume export soon and will continue discussions with the government on quote-unquote other issues. But even as these situations are resolved, we are seeing breaking reports of perhaps another disruption in copper supply based on labor issues. Uh, Southern Copper Corp., the world's second largest copper producer owned by Group O Mexico, uh, recently reported it is attempting to dissuade workers um, at a pair of mines in Peru from striking later this month. Now, that move could affect around 310,000 tons of annual copper production once again. So we will be keeping our eyes on that in terms of what it might do to our uh, sort of volatile uh, supply-demand uh, dynamic in terms of the red metal. Meanwhile, on the downstream side, we have a report from Scotiabank, which uh, indicates that quote unquote not surprising given the supply disruptions we saw during the first quarter but spot constant uh, copper concentrate TCRCs have dropped uh, to $73.90 and $7.39 per pound since mid-March this represents a four-year low now we're going to hear this a little bit or these terms a little bit this uh, this episode. You'll also hear them in terms of zinc. What are TCRC? Uh, TC is treatment charge. Well, RC is refining charge. Uh, these are commonly used terms uh, for the purchase of copper concentrate or nickel ore for refining. Uh, they are amounts designed to cover refining costs. Uh, for example, copper concentrate contracts may define a purchase price based on the LME price at a certain date minus the TC or RC being used at the time. Uh, so the fact that these are near four-year lows tells you a little bit about uh, what's going on on the refining downstream side of the copper market. Now, I want to get uh, a little bit project specific here because I received a uh, interesting report from GMP Securities uh, early this week, um, which uh, pertains to HUD Bay Minerals. Uh, the company put out a rather large update last week, uh, including a feasibility study on their development stage Rosemont Copper Project in Arizona and a life of mine update on the Lalor operation in Manitoba. What we're going to be looking at here specifically uh, through the GMP note is Rosemont. Now, GMP analyst Ian Parkinson made some interesting conclusions based on what he was seeing in the Rosemont feasibility study. Uh, namely, you're looking at a project that is budgeted to be about $1.9 billion in uh, in CapEx, uh, which is, you know, near $2 billion uh, that will be producing at uh, an average mill grade at about 0.45% copper, so under half a percent. Um, and at $3 copper, this, uh, this project would carry an IRR of under 16%. Uh, so what uh, what GMP has concluded is that, uh, quote unquote, uh, we believe the initial capital cost estimate to develop Rosemont provides important information to the market about the costs associated with bringing new copper supply online. Uh, due to a depressed copper price environment, very little new production has come online while a number of operating mines have been shut down. Uh, so just looking at the returns on Rosemont at $3 per pound copper, uh, GMP has obviously concluded that uh, we're simply going to need uh, higher copper prices to incentivize these new developments. Now, you may recall that uh, HUD Bay picked up Rosemont in uh, mid-2014 for around $555 million, uh, in a rather contentious bid for uh, Augusta Resources. Um, 
So it's pretty interesting to see where we've come in three years in terms of that copper price and also in terms of uh, where some of these development projects stand and what it's going to take uh, to incentivize this next stage of production. Um, as we've noted uh, on, on previous episodes, there's just, so it's just simply been a, a lack of investment in, um, in, in the copper space over the past decade. Uh, GMP also notes that in their note. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see where we go from here. But uh, to wrap up our section on copper, I actually have uh, a brief uh, a brief excerpt from my interview with Chris Richter, who is the president and CEO of Orico Metals. Now, industry observers, uh, specifically in BC, will be familiar with Orico because they're currently uh, advancing, I'd say, the uh, Kames project in uh, the northern part of the province. Was is a past-producing mine that was previously uh, operated by Northgate Minerals. Um, but uh, they have a, an underground scenario they're looking at, the Kamesh Underground, uh, where they take advantage and leverage the existing infrastructure on site. They also uh, recently received an important environmental approval under a hybrid review process between the federal and provincial governments. Uh, so they're one of those copper scenarios that's sort of advancing towards that feasibility level, the permitting level, uh, looking at development options. So we'll talk to, uh, to guess, get a few quotes from Chris, uh, actually, uh, just on what he thinks about the copper space and what he's been hearing out there. Um, so it's interesting just to hear uh, a little bit from one of the CEOs who sort of <laughs> got a skin in the game, if you will, um, and, and see how he feels about uh, where copper markets are going. So we'll run that. Um, and on, after the break, uh, we will return with a little bit of talk about zinc. Uh, you know, first of all, I, I'd, I'd agree. It's, um, you know, in terms of what one is hearing out there uh, about copper, um, you know, there was just a, a ton of negativity going back as recently as six months, and, and, and certainly there is a buzz out there now. Um, I think, you know, tied to that, uh, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the players in the copper space um, have been very, you know, clear in articulating that, uh, um, you know, there's, there's not a lot out there uh, in, in terms of development opportunities at an advanced stage. Um, and so, you know, if you do expect that there could be, a, you know, a significant deficit open up, opening up, in you know in a, in a few years time frame, you know we feel you know Kemes Underground could be could be very well timed uh, to to feed into that, um, given that we are at a very advanced stage here and and our project, um, you know being brownfields with the infrastructure in place and a, and a capital amount under under half a billion dollars I think uh, is a pretty unique opportunity uh, in, in that regard as well. Um, you know there's there's really not much out there uh, when when you think about uh, development opportunities, especially not in terms of sort of um, you know, independent development uh, developers out there with 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 uh, high quality copper. Yeah, we're we're starting to see that um, in terms of more more interest on the on the capital market side. Uh, um, and yeah, more, most recently, it's been you know with uh, with an uptick in in, in interest in, in copper. I think. And welcome back to studio. Just uh, like to take the opportunity to thank Chris Richter from Arico Metals for uh, having a chat with me recently on uh, well, just not only uh, the copper markets, but we also talked a little bit about uh, Arico's royalty portfolio. Uh, so surfbynorthernminer.com, there's a full article up there on Arico, uh, their permitting journey at Comes, and how they're feeling about copper and royalty markets. Um, now let's dig into zinc. Uh, <laughs> zinc has been a huge uh, topic. You may have caught uh, some of my uh, my work with Trevally Mining recently on their deal with Glencore and sort of what that means for the zinc market. Uh, we will be hearing a little bit more from my chat with Dr. Mark Cruz, President and CEO of Trevally, on his view on uh, the broader zinc markets and what M&A is looking like as well. Um, but before we do that, uh, let's dig into a little bit of zinc fundamentals and we will specifically talk about benchmark zinc smelter treatment charges, TCs, as we established previously. Now, uh, zinc was trading at about a buck twenty-four uh, per pound at the time of recording. Uh, 
that's up from about 80 cents at this time last year. So it was one of the top performing metals in 2016. Um, and uh, we, we've just seen this primary uh, zinc supply uh, move towards deficit following the closure of some like major mines, uh, notably Brunswick 12, Century, and Lachine. Um, and now let's talk a little bit about uh, those uh, benchmark zinc TCs, uh, which dropped significantly in 2016 and uh, look to be dropping even further in first quarter of 2017. Uh, they were sitting at about one US $170 $2 per ton at the time of recording with no smelter price participation, i.e. 0% escalators. Uh, now, base TCs or treatment charges um, are negotiated annually between miners and smelters and refineries. Uh, typically, negotiations start in October and continue well into the following year. Uh, benchmark terms are normally established when the major mines and smelters have agreed to the annual terms. Uh, recently negotiated 2017 smelter TCs uh, dropped for the second straight year from uh, 2015's benchmark rate of US $245 per ton uh, and 2016's rate of US $188 per ton of concentrate. Um, this is sort of a, an indicator of further flagging uh, of a tightening zinc market. Um, and now based on recent negotiations, uh, actually right now in March, uh, negotiations between tech and uh, Korea Zinc, uh, the TCs of US $172 per ton have uh, been set for 2017, as noted with no sm uh, smelter price participation or escalators. Um, that's down from about uh, $260 US per ton realized price in Q4 2016. Uh, so now uh, uh, price forecaster Wood McKenzie is uh, using about a, a long-term zinc price of about US $123 per pound. So right where we are uh, at the moment. Now, one of the analysts, uh, base metal analysts I follow fairly closely, Oris Woodcow at Scotiabank, uh, has been fairly bullish on zinc for a while. Uh, there's a few notes here uh, we can go over. Uh, one of the things is that uh, Tech Resources, Canadian major, has been banging the drum on zinc uh, for a little while, probably at least six months. Um, but uh, Scotia notes uh, during... Uh, Key takeaways from a desk update with Tech CEO Don Lindsay. Uh, tech believes that the zinc market, quote unquote, is on the cusp of a material price squeeze, uh, declining visible inventories, plummeting spot TCs and RCs, and several smelter closers suggest that prices are likely to head material higher in the near to midterm. Uh, this is in line with Scotiabank's view. Um, and uh, it noted that despite its trail refinery, Tech is the world's largest net long zinc miner. Uh, tech remains more cautious on copper in the near term, although it forecasts the market to to enter into a multi-year net deficit position starting in 2019. Now, if you are uh, uh, on the lookout for zinc exposure to uh, sort of benefit from this perceived near-term uh, supply disruption, again, we're looking at uh, mine closures and things of that nature. Uh, Scotiabank also notes that uh, Travali, obviously, which we'll be hearing from Dr. Mark Curry's president and CEO in a little bit here on the show, uh, Nevsun Resources with its Bisha mine in Eritrea, uh, Tech, as we just mentioned, uh, Hud Bay Mining and Lundin Mining uh, are all leaders in, in, in the form of zinc exposure. So, uh, should be interesting. Uh, Scotiabank noticed that uh, in terms of net asset value leverage to a 20% increase in zinc price, Trevelli actually leads the way. Uh, pro forma after their deal with Glencore, approximately 85% of the company's revenue will come from zinc. Uh, Arizona Mining, which we haven't touched about too much, and their uh, their Taylor deposit uh, in uh, in Arizona, but uh, it's an emerging story. They just released a PEA on uh, actually yesterday, or, or was it Monday? Uh, recently. <laughs> uh, anyway, a, a rather 
promising PEA, though we do note that there's been a little buzz around Arizona in terms of their metallurgy and manganese content. I am actually having a, a um, interview on Monday, this coming Monday, uh, with President and CEO of Arizona Mining's Jim Gowans, and we will talk uh, metallurgy, <laughs> and we will talk a bunch of other uh, stuff around the Taylor deposit, uh, and just uh, sort of hammer out that PEA. So look forward to that uh, those comments next week. Uh, but outside of that, so we have uh, Trevally uh, with the net net asset value leverage. Uh, then Arizona, then Hud Bay, Lundin, Tech, and then Nevsun. So if those are if you're looking for zinc, those are sort of the big players right now in the zinc space. Um, but yeah, so uh, let's circle around. Uh, we covered this last week uh, in in a, a bit of depth. Uh, but uh, we talked a little bit about uh, Travali's uh, f- roughly four hundred million dollar deal. Um, with Glencore for a pair of mines in Africa, in Burkina Faso and Namibia, um, and how that's going to make them the world's eighth largest zinc producer, and as Scotiabank noted, uh, the largest pure play zinc producer. Um, so what we're going to do here is I'm going to run a little bit of commentary, uh, again, uh, from President and CEO Dr. Mark Cruz, where he talks a little bit about zinc markets, about M&A markets, and sort of uh, how we how Travali plans to take advantage of, of what we're seeing as sort of a tightening in the zinc market. Uh, so uh, I will run those comments, and after the break, We'll uh, have a little bit of a chat to wrap up, um, so I'll see you then. Well, obviously, we're very bullish on zinc. I fully understand that we're clearly talking up our own commodity, but um, fundamentally, you know, there really is a massive supply crunch out there, um, and we see a lot more upside to zinc prices than downside at this point in time. Um, so really, z- zero concerns uh, at this point in time, um, you know, about sustaining CapEx, certainly you know, average zinc run is three to four years. So we have got a nice uh, runway ahead of us. And that was one of the key things. I mean, we don't do early stage. We don't do ultra remote. Um, we don't do green fields. We just want producing assets now um, because, you know, at least we're here and the only, you know, to take advantage of a, of a zinc bull cycle, which only happens once a decade. So you certainly don't want to get that wrong and you don't want to miss it. We've actually screened over 500 zinc assets globally. And the top two that came out were the two we acquired. That's obviously our filters, our perspective. It varies depending on company. Um, But what is difficult out there at this point in time is to acquire producing zinc assets, um, or certainly ones that can impact the forthcoming zinc cycle. So certainly to value's perspective, if it's a cycle or two out, we don't care. Um, Because in the end of the day, we should have the cash flow, we should have the strength that we can pick up those assets at the bottom of the cycle. Um, So we're quite happy to let other groups um, focus on those ones. And, and you know, obviously the best look to them, um, but but it is hard to core producing assets now. I think personally, you know, when the annual TC negotiations are out, you know, they're obviously a bit prolonged this year. They're probably going to be out in the next two to four weeks. Um, what we're hearing is material discounts in favour of the miners. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the next re-rating of zinc. And what we do know is when zinc breaks free it tends to go uh, suborbital. I mean, it, it runs It runs very hard. So certainly that's why we're keen to acquire these assets when we did. Um, I personally think the window's shrinking very rapidly. So I think a lot of groups out there have probably missed the window um, because, um, you know, once zinc takes off, everything's obviously going to cost more. And so, yeah, well, you don't really want to be acquiring things at top of cycle or generally that's not a great idea. Um, but nonetheless, you know, a lot of other companies will make their own decisions in that regard. And welcome back to studio. I'd like to thank Dr. Mark Cruz again for joining me on the phone. Um, uh, so that pretty much concludes our trip around the, uh, the copper zinc verse <laughs> as we look at uh, sort of the apropos big headline base metals uh, to start 2017. I uh, took a look through some analyst notes, some CEO commentary to sort of give you an idea on what might be uh, on the horizon for those zinc and copper explorers, developers, and producers over the midterm. Uh, so yeah, that's a good uh, good little one uh, to uh, just sort of get us primed 
around here as we uh, move into the second quarter. Uh, before we do go, though, I wanted to uh, to mention we had a really exciting event in Toronto on uh, Monday, April 3rd. Uh, it was our roundtable sponsored by PWC on capital allocation. Uh, and we had some uh, really great uh, participants, including uh, analysts like Andrew Cape, Cape from BMO, uh, as well as um, president and CEOs from some major companies and some smaller companies, um, as well as uh, from a variety of spaces, including people like uh, David Cates, who's president and CEO of Lucas Lundin's Denison Mines, uh, a uranium-focused uh, uh, outfit in Saskatchewan. Uh, so it's going to be really cool. Uh, what we're doing is putting together an actual magazine for that, uh, sort of on the results of a survey we did uh, among mining companies to see what you know what the best sort of capital allocation is uh, if you have excess capital. So whether it be dividend, share buybacks, uh, investing in M&A, etc. Uh, so the results of that uh, will be coming out once again at our Canadian Mining Symposium in London, which is scheduled for May 9th. Really exciting event. We've got a lot of major companies participating, including Goldcorp, Barrick, McEwen Mining. Uh, we've got some great sponsors, including the Yukon government, uh, and as well as the government of Canada. Uh, that will be happening at Canada House on Trafalgar Square on May 9th. So keep your eyes open for that. If you are in the UK, uh, reach out, see what uh, the deal is with attendance. Uh, but yeah, so that pretty much wraps up the show for the week. I uh, just wanted to thank, say thanks again to our sponsor, uh, our returning sponsor, the Yukon Mining Alliance. Uh, please do surf by yukonminingalliance.ca. And again, check out all that exciting exploration and development activity going on in the Yukon Territory because there has been a lot of it recently. Uh, we've seen Goldcorp being quite active up there. Uh, we've seen Agnico wade in. We've seen Newmont now come in, uh, major U.S. gold miner, uh, take a uh, bite out of Gold Strike, which has uh, got a property near Dawson City. Uh, so yeah, it's lots of exciting things going on in the Yukon, so do check that out. But uh, anyway, I will let you go for the week. I have been, well, I am Matthew Keevil, <laughs> and uh, you're listening to the Northern Miner Podcast. Thanks again for your listenership, and uh, do like us on Facebook. Check us out on Twitter uh, and YouTube. And please do rate this podcast on iTunes because that helps us out a lot. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next week.